Amen. Thank you, Jeff. So good morning. It's good. You guys out there, good morning. The lights are bright. I can't see. Uh, it's good to see many of you this morning. I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, so it's, it's neat to see so many of you and those of you um, um, joining with us at home. Uh, Terry and Tammy Henderson's oldest son, Nathan, uh, was not married last night, but they've been waiting two years to throw a party. Uh, and so they did that last night in, um, in Atlanta. If you're wondering where a lot of the church is, about half the church is there. Jonathan and I flew in and got home at 2.30 in the morning to be here with you. So if I can be here, you can be here, uh, and we can be here together. That's good. Uh, so we, we are beginning a series this morning. Uh, well, I, I say that, to, I wanted to say, so pray for a lot of our church is going to be traveling I-75 this afternoon. So if you think of that, just be praying for the people that are coming back. Uh, and give thanks to the Lord that Terry and Tamer were able to enjoy that with Nathan and, and Catherine, because uh, that's a big deal. So uh, we had a great weekend, but it's good to be back and be with you. This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series that will last for the entire summer until the beginning of school about crucial spiritual habits. And it's going to be more of a topical series, and so we're going to look from different places. And this morning, we're going to begin our our, uh, travels through the scriptures talking about habits in the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible you want to turn there, we're going to to read uh, a short passage from Hebrews chapter 3 and then skip down to Hebrews chapter 10 because the themes in both those places are very similar. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It's printed for you in your worship folder. It'll also be on the screen behind me and on your screen at home as we read together. These are heavy words, uh, so prepare your heart even now. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us, we pray, as we read. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then from Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. So why do this? Uh, why, why take time to do this series? Well, this past year and a half has had enormous, has created enormous disruption. It has enormously disrupted our daily and weekly routines and rhythms. I've heard from so many people about that, and I've experienced it myself. I heard one story in particular that really, really um, just got me about a pastor, a man who's well-known, pastor is one of the largest churches in the country, and he was talking about uh, how for 25 years, excuse me, 27 years, five days a week, he had gone and worked out with the same friend. So think about that, 27 years, five days a week. How ingrained do you think that was in him? And, and he was reflecting, he was saying, and then the pandemic hit, and he was committed to continue to work out, so he, brought, he bought home gym equipment so he could keep doing that, but then he, he realized that as the restrictions began to lift, he didn't go back. He, he stuck with his new habit, and he was just saying, you know, and now that friendship, I saw this guy five times a week for 27 years, and now we barely talk anymore. 
And if something that ingrained in somebody's life can be so significantly disrupted, then we should be aware of the danger and the opportunity, but the danger of how the pandemic might have kicked us out of crucial habits. But also the opportunity to develop new crucial habits that might push us forward personally and spiritually. Uh, The data suggests that 25% of people who attended church pre-pandemic aren't coming back. So that's one in every four. Or if they do, it'll be with a very different set of practices. Virtual consumption will become a more frequent, in-person presence more infrequent. And I think we need to stop, and that's what we're going to do for a number of weeks now. We're going to stop and consider the implication of such spiritual habits. But this is also a great time to to adopt new crucial habits, because in many ways the slate has been wiped clean in an unprecedented way. And I think it's a good, good time for us to do this. And so we're focused on one verse I told you last week from Galatians 6, where Paul writes, you reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap from the spirit eternal life. And so here's my question this morning to us as we come to this text. What are you sowing? What are you sowing? There's a saying in business and organizational leadership, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Now, you can apply that personally and spiritually. If you're worried about something that's happening in your life right now, or if the future feels super scary to you, or if you look back and you're full of regret about decisions that you've made in the past, then you address whichever of those might be the case. You address it by looking at the way the system of your life is designed because your life is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. And so if you want different results, you need to design a new system. You need new habits, personal habits. But here's the thing. In Christianity, you practice personal habits, not all by yourself. You practice personal habits in community with other people. And that's what this text in Hebrews chapter 10 is about. So come to the text with me. In Hebrews 10, there are three imperatives in verses 22, 23, and 24, one in each verse. Three words where where the writer writer here gives us something to do. He tells us this should be a part of your life. Three things he tells us should be a regular part of our routine and rhythm. And all three of them, if you notice there, all three in verses 22, 23, and 24, all three are first-person plural. In other words, they are things God intends that we do together, not as separate individuals. So the very first lesson is this. If you sow the seeds of a purely individualistic, consumeristic Christianity, then you will reap a spiritual life without the appropriate depth. We need new personal habits. But we also need new habits of community, too. And that's what this text is about. And so I want you to see, we're just going to take each of those imperatives in verse 22, 23, and 24 and talk about them. And as we do so, you're going to see these three things. We're going to talk about in verse 22, where he tells us to draw near, that we see the aim of the spiritual habits. In verse 23, where he tells us to hold fast, we see the need for spiritual habits. And then in verse 24, where he says, stir up, we see the environment for the spiritual habits. And each of those is critical as we talk about this this morning. So let's walk through the text together along those lines. Okay, first, let's look at the aim of the spiritual habits. And it's, as I said, there in that first imperative in verse 22. So read the verse with me again. He says, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, draw near is a compound word, which means to approach 
or to come before to present yourself. It, it describes worship. It describes a person coming before the royal court, the royal throne, to present themselves to the king. And so the aim, the goal of the spiritual habits, as we talk about them this summer, is a life of intimacy and communion with God. And in your life with God, your approach matters. How you draw near to him matters significantly. Jesus told a story in the Gospel of Luke about two men with two fundamentally different approaches to God. The first man was a Pharisee, and he drew near to God in worship on the basis of his moral exceptionalism. Do you remember that? He said, oh, I thank you that I am not like everybody else. I deserve to be here. The second man was a tax collector. He was a moral failure, and he drew near to God on the basis of God's mercy because he had no moral exceptionalism in himself. He beat his breast and wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And Jesus' lesson is clear. He says that it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee that got it right. And so if you're not careful, your religious life can become all about your moral record because that is the default of mode of the human heart, religion. You, you draw near, you approach, you come to God bearing the gifts that you're bringing. You make sacrifice, you know, right? You bring the sacrifices and the God that you're worshiping is pleased by your sacrifice and he accepts you. But Christianity is not religion, it's gospel. It's good news of God's grace to you in Jesus. And grace means that you are accepted before you come. That you're loved before you offer anything to God in return. That your relationship with him has nothing to do with your performance. And so you can come. It says here, I mean, see what it says. It says you and I, if we've put our faith in Jesus, we can come right into the Holy of Holies. Right into the very presence of God, verse 19, with confidence. With a good conscience. Verse 22, a heart full in full assurance of faith, heard sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now that's a theme in this letter that's really important. But to come into the presence of God is a scary thing. I mean, the Old Testament, what's being described here only happened one time a year. And only the high priest, only he was allowed into the Holy of Holies. And only on a very special day. And only after an elaborate ceremony of washings and sacrifices and getting everything ready. But Hebrews says it's not like that anymore. Hebrews says we can come right in. The door's open. It's unlocked. We can come in and make ourselves at home. We can come as people who've been assured of God's disposition towards us and know that there's nothing to be afraid of, that there's nothing that can condemn us. Now, that doesn't happen in religion. You, you, can't, you, can't, you might come, but you can't come with confidence because you can never really know where you stand. That's the problem. The problem with religion, Richard Lovelace said, is that it can't satisfy the conscience. So what it does is it produces people who are outwardly put together, but inside, inside, they're, they're full of insecurity and fear when it comes to their standing with God. It's the opposite of the, the description of the heart sprinkled clean there in verse 22. Here's what I want you to see, though. But God wants us bold. Not hiding in the shadows, but stepping into his light without fear. In verses 19 through 21, before you get to the imperative there in verse 22, verses 19 through 21 give us the theology that makes that imperative possible. It gives us all the theology behind the imperative. Now it's a summary, those three verses, of the argument of the entire letter. 
all that he's been saying from the very beginning. And here's, and here's basically what he means. So the basis of our confidence is not that God is soft on sin. Not at all. We could never come on our own. There's nothing in us that could merit such access. We stand condemned because of our sins. We know this. But the confidence doesn't come from cleaning up all of the mess either. It's not a matter of proving that you're right or doing, performing all of the right ceremonies and sacrifices and so forth. It says very clearly here, verses 19 and 20, if you look. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now, there's a lot of theology there. There's a lot in those verses. But we can draw near to God. We can go through the curtain and into the very holy of holies because, and only because, Jesus has gone ahead of us. And you know this imagery here, right? In the temple, in the Old Testament, in the temple there was a curtain. The Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt, was separated by a thick curtain from the rest of the temple complex, and that curtain was a boundary. It was a reminder of our exile. It was a reminder of our separation from God. But here, the Hebrews writer says that the curtain has another application. It didn't just keep people out. It is also the way in. And so in that sense, here's the point he makes. It points to Jesus' body, which was ripped and torn on the cross for our sins. His blood was shed as a payment for your sins and my sins. And the moment, the moment that he breathed his last, there was a great earthquake, the Gospels tell us, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, just like his body. And so in dying, he has made a way for us to come in after him. His death upon the cross, opened a way for us to confidently come, fully assured that we are loved and accepted by God. And that's good news. And so the aim of the spiritual habits is to begin to cultivate a life of drawing near to God with confidence. And one of the marks of a person who has believed the gospel, I want to say this, one of the marks of the person who has believed the gospel is that going to God feels like going home. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you remember what it feels like to go home? But that takes some practice, which is where the habits come in. So secondly, not only do we see the aim of the habits, but we see the need for the habits. And you see this in the second imperative in verse 23. So verse 22 says, draw near to God. And then verse 23 goes on to say, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, which echoes Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. We have to hold fast our confidence. We can have confidence, but it's something we got to hold fast. And so the gospel truth here is stunning. God warmly invites us to come into his presence. He wants a close personal relationship with us, and he's made it possible in Jesus. I mean, you can be confident in his love and his welcome of you, but you've got to hold fast. you got to hold it fast. Because naturally, we drift away from confidence with God. That's Hebrews 2, verse 1. That's the problem with these people. That's what he's writing about. They've begun to drift. And that's the real spiritual danger is drift. Because, you know, let's be honest. No one, well, hardly anyone, I've never heard, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I'm going to torpedo my life today. (laughs) Nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to commit adultery today. I'm going to commit tax fraud today. No, that's not the way it works. It's small things. And then small things accumulate over time. And you drift. Now, you know what this is. You're Floridians. 
you've gone to the beach. You know, you go to the beach and you go out into the water, you know, you go straight out from your umbrella and your chairs and you start swimming around and playing around in the water, but before you know it, you look up and what's happened? You're way down the beach. What happened? You drifted. And the Hebrew Christians had begun to drift. They had become spiritually lax. Nothing big, necessarily. This is not like writing to the church of Corinth. Corinth was the wild, wild west. Nothing like that here. He, he's concerned about the, the small little things. They probably didn't even realize it. But the Hebrews writer sees it. And so, if you've been a parent with, with kids at the beach, you know that when that happens, when they go into the water, so like a parent on the beach, like waving their arms, telling the kids, hey, do you realize... You're way down there. Come back so you can be here where I can see you, right? That's what he's doing. He's telling these people, wake up. See how far you've drifted away before it's too late. And honestly, that is my concern for so many of us after these long months of pandemic. 18 months is a long time. It's enough time for a bunch of small things to accumulate and become a big problem. And some of us entered the waters of the pandemic here. And now we're exiting miles down the beach. And it takes some work to get back to where you were at the beginning. Dia Carson, he said it this way. He said, people do not drift towards holiness. <laughs> Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, and obedience in the scriptures, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance we drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we've escaped legalism. His point is this, do nothing and you'll drift. If you've been to the East Coast particularly, you know that to stay in place, you have to be proactive, take some effort. To actually make progress takes even more effort. And so I want to say to you, you need good spiritual habits. Because the daily and weekly routine and rhythm help you hold fast. They help you not begin to drift. They keep you in place. They keep you in the repetition of the doing of them in the same place. But there's a particular application here too. And it says that we are to hold fast to our confession or the confession of our hope. Do you see that in verse 23? Which is all, all, of, all of the stuff in verses 21 and 22. And so all spiritual drift is away from grace and away from gratitude. You hold fast to the gospel and not drift off into moralism. You have to hold fast to gratitude, not pride and fear as the motivational infrastructure of your life. Because the root of every sin... The root of every spiritual struggle is gospel forgiveness. So what he's saying is here is don't let go of grace. Don't drift off into deadly doing. Don't let go of gratitude and joy. And the spiritual habits are the mechanism for gospel remembrance, which is so crucial. But third, we see not only the aim and the need, but we also see the environment for the spiritual habits. And it's the third imperative in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all, and all the more as you see the day draw near. Now, you draw near, verse 22, by holding fast 
to the gospel, verse 20, 23, you hold fast to the gospel by belonging to a community of people who are committed to encouraging one another. Stirring one another up, verse 24. You, you become a person of grace and gratitude by belonging to a community of grace and gratitude. You are far more likely to succeed in any personal habits that you're trying to implement if they're being reinforced in community. So we are not just committed to reading the Bible here at Redeemer, but we're committed to reading the Bible together as a community because the community part of it is just as important as the, as the personal spiritual discipline. Now, there are two words that describe the environment. The first is encourage. It's the Greek word parakaleo, which some of you may be familiar with. So when it talks about encouraging one another in verse 24, all the more as you see the day drawing near, it's a compound word which means to be alongside of one another with words. That's what the word means. Alongside one another with words. The Holy Spirit is called the parakaleo. He is the paraclete. We read in Ephesians chapter 4 just this past week in our community Bible reading with one another that it's possible to grieve the Spirit. And you grieve the Spirit when you speak words that discourage and tear others down because he is the encourager. And it breaks his heart when we don't encourage one another the way he encourages. So the community of the Spirit is a community of encouragement. Coming alongside of one another with words. But then the second word is the imperative here, the word stir up. And it's translated differently in different translations. Stimulate, motivate, provoke, move. It refers to the spur. And that's the way it's translated in the NIV. The spur that a cowboy wears on the heel of his boot to kick a horse in action. So that's, here's what I want to say to you. That's what encouragement often feels like. It's not all Hallmark card sentimentality. To stir up means to poke and irritate one another into obedience. Did you know you could do that? That you can irritate one another into obedience. It hurts. It's annoying. But you need it. Right? And the difference would be something like this. You know, the title of my sermon is Personal Habits and Community, which is just kind of bland and, sound, and sounds nice. But this is really, hey, get your butt to church sermon. Right? That's provoking. Right? That's inciting. That's spurring. That's, that's annoying. That's irritating. And yet that's what this word means, that we are to be so in one another's life that we just irritate and annoy one another towards the kind of life we're supposed to live. So here's the big question. What are your habits towards the community of faith you belong to? I know a lot of you are new here. Some of you are watching online, whatever, whatever the case might be. What are your habits towards the community of faith that you belong to? Or do you belong to a community of faith? Or have you developed a habit of neglecting the community? I ask because of the obvious disruption. We, if you look around, we still only have about 60% of the attendance we did before, before the pandemic. And there are a bunch of new people here every week, which means, as best as I can figure it, about 50%, one out of every two people, one out of every two of those who had a habit of regularly coming to church in this church 18 months ago have a new habit. That's a scary thing. Do you understand why pastors are freaking out? We love you. We love the people we serve, and one out of two is not here. And it's disorienting and scary. For some, the pandemic has kicked them into decisions that were already being made, and they've moved on, hopefully to other churches. For others, there are legitimate health concerns that continue to keep them at home. But for a lot of us, a lot of us, I want to be your friend to say this, a lot of us, we have developed a habit of neglect. 
neglect of spiritual things, but neglect of being gathered with the body too. Tom Rainer has data that suggests that this isn't going to change, that, that this habit is going to continue, that the new norm will be something like once a month attendance in churches because people have been pushed into significant habits of neglect. And so if you're neglecting the regular gathering of the church, not just on Sundays, but in community groups, just in informal ways, other kinds of groups, I want you to say, I want to hear you, if you're neglecting that, if you're neglecting the gathering, it's a sign that you're neglecting the rest of your spiritual life. Because there is no progress spiritually outside of the community. Spiritual maturity is a team sport. And so to adopt, and I'm not usually really hard, but I'm going to be hard for just about a minute here. Can you handle it? You okay? Can I provoke? Can I spur? Can I kick you with my spur on the end of my boot for a minute? Let me say this. To adopt such a posture towards being in person with the rest of the church is both arrogant and it's selfish. It's arrogant because you won't make it without a community of encouragement. And so, if you think you can, it shows that, it shows that, you're, that you're out of touch with reality. Sin is deceitful. It says here, do you see that in Hebrews chapter 3? Sin is deceitful. In other words, the things that you are aware of are not the things that are killing you. The things that are really killing you are the things that you can't see. But the good news is you can't see them, but others can. And you need, it says there, other people to be pointing you to your sin. You need to be inviting the critical feedback of other people, what he refers to as exhortation there. Otherwise, you'll develop what the Hebrews writer calls an evil, unbelieving heart, a hardened heart. Sin deceives and it hardens and the preventative to all of that undoing of the spiritual things in your life, the preventative is to be stirred up by daily encouragement from others. But if you're arrogant enough to think that you don't need other people to help you in your fight with sin, you're deceived. Let me be your friend and tell you that. You've already lost. Sin's already won. It's not just arrogant, it's also selfish because it's arrogant because you won't make it without a community of encouragement. But it's selfish because there are people in the community who won't make it without you encouraging them. The text says don't neglect, encourage. And so if you neglect it in being, remember Pericleo is coming alongside presence with words. And so if you neglect presence... Not only will your spiritual health suffer, but it will happen to others too. Because neglect and encouragement are opposites. You can't, you can't neglect and encourage. And both of them can be measured by presence. Can I just say, you can't encourage on Facebook. It has to be side by side. Para kaleo. Walking beside with words. Hebrews 3.13 says daily. Do you see that? Look at that. Verse 3. Exhort one another... How often? Every day. If you want to have a sense, if you want to get a sense of your need and again a sense of the importance of this habit of encouraging one another, just look at that word daily. Encourage one another daily. That one word describes the extent of our need for encouragement and the level of, our, the, the level of commitment that we ought to have to one another. So as we, begin, as we begin this discussion of spiritual habits this summer, we need gospel truth, we need gospel practices. We need gospel friends. 
not just truth, but gospel truth, because grace is the only truth that can overcome unbelief and not deepen it and bring you boldly to God. Not just practices, but gospel practices, because only those that have their aim to connect you to God's love and care for you in Jesus and to keep you in his love will have powerful spiritual affect upon you. And not just friends, but gospel friends, because friendship that does not have the gospel as its core, as its fountain, will lack either the grit that it needs to confront or the grace that it needs to comfort. And so here's what, here again, hear what he says here. He says, take care, verse 30, verse 12 of chapter 3. Take care. That's what we're trying to do this summer, to help you take care of yourself. Take care, he says, and take care of one another. So let's do that, church, can we? Pray with me, if you would, as we, begin, as we prepare to come to the table that he has prepared for us. So, Father, I pray that this would land upon us with the seriousness that it comes to us in the scriptures, but not with a, a condemning, overbearing sense of condemnation. Because Help us to remember that even as we contemplate where we may have become lax, where we, we may have been kicked into bad habits of neglect, um, that, that our, our salvation, that our standing with you is not, is not at stake there. Uh, that we that we can still, no matter no matter how far down the beach we might have gone, uh, we can still come boldly to you, trusting in the work that Jesus has done for us. That's what this meal reminds us of, and so we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate it because it stands at the center of our life together to remind us of the kind of people uh, that you have made us. That we are we're here not because we're good, we're here because we're yours. And so would you bring the truth of your love for us home to our hearts in a way that it would impact and change us, motivate us towards a renewed effort in the crucial spiritual practices that we'll talk about this summer so that we might become people sowing to the Spirit who also reap from the Spirit abundance of life. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, but if your faith is in the Lord Jesus, receive these words of benediction as the promise that as he sends you now into the world, having gathered us together, the church is the assembly being gathered together that we might be sent on mission into the world that he so desperately loves. And so as he sends you, receive this promise uh, that you do not go uh, only sowing uh, what, you will, what you will not reap. But if you sow, you will reap. And this is that promise. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace. Thanks for being here this morning. We nailed it. We nailed it.